Do you like the show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Of course you do. Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Become a Patreon supporter of this very show. of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So this uh, coronavirus thing is uh, <laughs> it's getting nuts. Yeah, a small part of me thought that I had it because I was sick for over a week after Pensacon. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking after got, I got home because I was sick for about a day and a half. Well, the thing was, on Saturday during Pensacon, I could tell I was getting sick. And even going back and editing the Defending Bad Movies panel, like, my voice doesn't sound quite right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was starting to lose it then. So I, I told this story on, on my show, but I, I'll tell it here. So Sunday, my voice really started to go out, and I really started to feel tired during my next-to-last panel that I did, which was at, like, 2.45 in the afternoon. But I had one more panel that I had to do that wasn't until 5.15. So I was like, uh, well, can my voice just hold out for a couple of more hours? Luckily, there were a lot of fan questions, so I didn't have to talk that much. Yeah. But then as soon as I got home, I, well, I went by Walgreens first and got some Epsom salt and some eucalyptus oil and just made a hot bath and laid in it for like an hour. And then I missed two days of work. And then I went back on Wednesday because I had a, a college tournament that I had to work that I had to prep for. Yeah. Work, worked all throughout the weekend. So I, I wasn't quite 100% when I went back. And then especially Sunday, I was really feeling like crap. Went back to work Monday, started feeling worse. And then I left after lunch to go back to the doctor and got a different set of antibiotics, which have done the trick. I, I missed yesterday and today of work, but I'm going to be going back tomorrow because I'm pretty much 100% now. Yeah, I um, I got home on uh, that Sunday night of Pensacon. I was feeling a bit down, and then the next morning I woke up and I just felt like a truck hit me. And I mm -hmm. ended up leaving work at noon, and I came home and slept all afternoon. And I woke up that evening, and I pretty much didn't have a voice. Like, I was just a croak. And then um, uh, Tuesday it started to clear up, and by Wednesday I felt fine. But, uh, but yeah, it was a quick case of con crud. And what I normally do, ever since I got sick in Orlando a couple of years ago, I always start taking vitamin C the week leading up to the convention, and this week I didn't do it, or yeah. this year I didn't do it. So I think that was one of the big reasons why, but... You, you learn lessons yeah. <laughs> every time you do something like that. But, but overall, other than that, Pentacon mm -hmm. was great. Oh, yeah, because this is really our first, like, I guess, show really since Pensacon. No, it was great. It was one of my favorite Pensacons ever since I've been going. Yeah. I think you know, I thought too. The, the Nerd Cave Retro panel was great. Really, all the, the fan panels we did. The one that surprised me was the Stephen King one. Yeah. That one was actually really good. Yeah, that one went great. I love doing that one. Um, all the panelists were great. Steve 
our uh, good friend Steve Wise was on the panel, and that was great. Um, me and um, uh, my friend Mike Dixon did a um, what should be canon in Star Wars panel, which you guys had a great turnout for that. Which apparently was like the most attended panel at the con. So that was uh, I was quite surprising. That's awesome. Yeah, and of course you know, we have to talk about defending bad movies. Oh, of course. I don't know about you, but I actually enjoyed this year's more than last year's. And that's saying a lot because last year's was really good. Yeah, I I just love doing that panel. I love the one that we did defending bad comedies at the comedy festival earlier in the year. And then this was kind of the, the big one for the year is at Pensacon defending bad movies. And I cannot wait to do next year. Defending Bad Movies 3D. 3D. <laughs> we should all get... So I had a great idea for a promo graphic for that. Uh-huh. We sh- If we were all able to get together, we should wear those old 3D glasses, like the paper ones with the red and the blue lenses. Oh, yeah. And all just kind of like look off to the right. And I like I put everybody all next to each other. And then above, it says Defending Bad Movies 3D. Pensacon 2021. You know, I bet Steve still has a bunch of those 3D glasses left over from the the Survey 3D showing. I think we should wear them for the panel. Oh yeah, that'd be great. That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> I'll do but, it. But but for this year, you'll get to hear the audio from Defending Bad Movies 2 on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience, which also happens to be episode 250. Wow, 250. And next week is the six-year anniversary of the show. Crazy. I know. I, I'm going to do uh, – well, it'll be announced on, on the Derek Diamond Experience, but this upcoming Tuesday, I'm going to do uh, – I'm going to go old school a little bit. I'm just going to do a six-year anniversary AMA on Facebook Live. Like, it doesn't have to be film-centric. It, you can literally ask me anything. If you want to talk with me about the coronavirus, <laughs> I'll give you my opinion on that. You can literally ask me anything. I figure since it's for the six-year anniversary, it'll be a, a nice little discussion for it. And, you know, I'll obviously reflect on, you know, fun times that I've had doing the show and everything. So, yeah. And I actually yeah. just got back from a Pensacola podcaster meetup, which was really cool. It was the first one we had ever done, and there was, I think, close to 15 people that were at it. So I didn't even know that were that many podcasters in the area. It was old Bill Lyons there, our friend Bill he, Lyons. He was not, but I actually did his podcast uh, on Monday. It was me, Bill, and Chad Sanders. We talked about Pensacon. Yeah. Guess how long the podcast was? Uh, like four hours. <laughs> it was three. Wow. And get this, two hours in, my meds wore off. <laughs> so I, like, I was essentially done wow. after that. As I kind of looked at Bill, like, I, I can't go anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to do his podcast sometime in the next week or so. He had texted me the other day. I was like, when can you do it? I was like, "Uh, now that Pensacon's over with, let's do it. I was like, okay, sometime next week. Yeah, he had mentioned something about that. So he's he's got his own series of podcasts that he does. Yeah. He loves the podcasting, and he he very much loves Kevin Smith. So He does. He might be bigger Kevin Smith fans than we are. Probably. And, you know, he wears the hockey jersey, and he's, he's got the whole look down, too. Yeah, he does. He, I think he, <laughs> he unintentionally cosplays as Kevin Smith. Yeah, every I think year. so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man, but I'm ready to go into the news because we've got a lot to get to tonight. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, up front, I do apologize. We're probably going to skip this month in video game history because we are so overloaded with news for this week. Yeah, we've got seven and a half news stories to get into. The, the half I'll explain <laughs> when we get into our last one. But All right, well, let's, yeah, let's there's, jump there's in. Let's do it. Yep. So to start us off with the news, this is actually breaking news from just a few hours ago. E3, this is actually on IGN.com. E3 2020 officially canceled over coronavirus concerns. E3 2020 has been officially canceled uh, because of the coronavirus or COVID-19. This marks the biggest impact on a video game show this year as a result of public health concerns regarding the outbreak. The Entertainment Software Association is now exploring the possibility of an online experience to replace the show. The statement from the ESA reads, After careful consultation with our member companies regarding the health and safety of everyone in our industry, our fans, our employees, our exhibitors, and our longtime E3 partners, we have made the difficult decision to cancel E3 2020 scheduled for June 9th through 11th in Los Angeles. Um, I've actually been kind of seeing... E3 become less and less relevant over the past few years. So, you know, I kind of have a feeling that I don't think E3 is going to be back after this year. Because of this cancellation, you know, uh, Sony was already pulling out, Nintendo already pulled out. I mean, it was a real, I mean, with people being able to release things online, like, why even have E3? Well, e Nintendo hasn't really been a part of E3 for years as far as having an actual presentation yeah. because they've just done a direct that coincides with E3. I mean, they've had stuff on the show floor, but as far as having a huge presence, Nintendo hasn't had that in that's several years now. And like you said, Sony wasn't going to be involved. So it's been going towards this trend for for a while. Yeah. And honestly, I and it's not because I can't go to it, but I think it's better that way to just have an entirely digital presentation. Yeah, I don't because see any you can, reason not to. You can to still do, that. do it like you can set it to go live at a certain time or if you even want to do it that same weekend you can. Yeah. Or the same week or, or however they do it. But as far as having the live presentation, that's that novelty wore off to me you know, two to three years ago. Yeah, especially with the advent of social media and everything. I, you know, as soon as somebody announces something, you immediately know about it anyway. So yeah. why even bother? Like, it, it, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I can see, like you said, doing some sort of uh, digital experience or something where, you, you know, they do all their presentations and stuff at, at a certain scheduled time like an, a total online experience, there's no reason to do an E3 anymore, really. Yeah, and it kind of goes into a bigger picture story, and I'm sure we were going to discuss this anyway, but this whole coronavirus thing has really exploded Yeah. in the, in the last week or so. You know, I've been getting you know, texts and seeing things on Twitter all day. You know, I know we don't really talk about sports on the podcast, but... Uh, the NCAA announced that the March Madness tournament, none of it's going to be played in front of fans. Wow. They're all going to be played in empty arenas. Crazy. 
And there was actually an NBA game, you know, as we're recording this, they actually canceled it minutes before they were supposed to start due to concerns. But it's like I was saying to you earlier, if you're already there and you were going to get it, you've already got it. Yeah. But I, I think my stance on this whole thing is that, yeah, it's something we should be concerned about, but I think it is being blown a little bit out of proportion. If you... And you, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but you know Joe Rogan has done yeah. a fantastic podcast about this whole subject. And from what I've heard of it, the big thing is you just need to have proper hygiene, wash your hands. I I would even carry hand sanitizer with you. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that, you know, ever since I've been sick, and just maintain a healthy lifestyle, and yeah. you should be fine. Exactly. That's the biggest thing. Is just you know. Take vitamins, take care of yourself, uh, avoid large crowds, wash your hands, just be vigilant, and it, it, we can defeat this thing, <laughs> you know. I listened to that podcast today, and it was very, very informative, so I highly recommend anybody that's worried about the COVID-19, please go listen to that newest episode of Joe Rogan. He had a guest on who was the uh, top, um, what would you call it, what, what is he, The uh, like the top? Uh, I'm pulling up his name right now. Yeah, I can't remember his name. He's like the the top uh, virus person <laughs> who works for like, you know, he works. So he his name is Michael Osterholm. Yeah. He's an internationally recognized expert in infectious disease yeah. epidemiology. Uh, he's a he's Regent Professor McKnight Presidential Endowed Chair in Public Health and the director for the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. So he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And what I like about him is he he doesn't do it in an overly complicated way that doesn't make sense. Like he's very straightforward with what you should be concerned about what and the myths of the coronavirus too, which is it's a very good listen. When we're done here, I'm going to finish listening to the episode before I go to bed. So yeah. it's just something, you know, I hope it just raises more awareness that people need to take care of themselves. Absolutely. But no, th this whole E3 thing was was nuts, and you know, it hasn't been announced yet, but I am very, very curious if WrestleMania is going to get canceled or postponed. Yeah, because South by Southwest has already been canceled. Um, other, uh, I think the Emerald City Comic Con's been canceled. Um, what else? I think what was that event that got postponed? Event. It was a big one, but I can't remember its name. Oh, there's all kind of stuff being canceled right now. Yeah. But I know the, so the city of Tampa released a tweet saying that WrestleMania was still on schedule. But when I went to click on it, it said the tweet was unavailable. Hmm. So I wonder if they might have jumped the gun. Maybe. But we'll they're see. supposed to make an announcement tomorrow or today if you're listening to this the day it comes out. I was telling you this, if it gets postponed, I want a camera to be in the room to get Vince McMahon's reaction because <laughs> yeah. that will be gold because he will lose his mind. Yeah. If the stories I've heard about him are true, he is not going to be a happy camper, which I wouldn't blame him, but, I mean, if the city cancels it, it's out of his hands. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm trying to say is just, just try and take care of yourself is what you need to do. I mean, I, I, that's something that I've learned firsthand over the last year, because I think I told the story about how I spent the night in the ER because of dehydration. Mm -hmm. 
and I was at borderline kidney failure because I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. So I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> so that's sometimes so, it takes us having to learn the hard way to learn our lesson. And I think that this uh, coronavirus is a harsh lesson. But I, I do agree with what was said on Joe Rogan. I think it's something we're going to hear about for months. Oh, yeah. It, it might go in waves, but it's going to be relevant for a while. It's yeah. something I'm even wondering if it's going to affect, you know, Blue Wahoos games because those start in three weeks. Possibly. I mean, they're even talking about canceling the Olympics. I I actually think that's going to happen because that's near coronavirus central. Uh-huh. When plus, like with WrestleMania, you've got people who are flying in overseas because people come in from all over the world to watch it, from China, from Japan, from the UK, Africa, you know, all over the world. So who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. But on a lighter note, uh, this comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Super Mario Brothers tops America's list of most wanted video game films. As Paramount Sonic the Hedgehog races past the 200 billion mark at the global box office, Hollywood is looking ahead to a number of other video game adaptations on the horizon. From small screen offerings like Netflix's The Witcher and Showtime's upcoming Halo series, which I can't wait for, I know. to plan big screen blockbusters like Sony's Uncharted and Eli Roth's Borderlands, translating games from console to theater, home or cinema, has become the hot new trend, but which, but which classic games do Americans want most to see get the Hollywood treatment? Nintendo's Super Mario Brothers and Namco's Pac-Man topped the list of desired video game adaptations, a new Hollywood Reporter slash Morning Consult poll finds. The former, which is far and away the best-selling video game franchise in history, with more than 639 million units sold since 1981. That is insane. Hmm. It's already been adapted multiple times, most notably in the 1993 film, which we have discussed at length yes, on this podcast. <laughs> but... Long story short, so a Mario film is currently in the works from uh, Illumination Studios, which animation in that style, I think, is the right way to go for Mario. I, I don't think Mario will, would work in live action. No, not at all. And, like, I'm kind of curious about why people want Pac-Man <laughs> as a movie adaptation. Now, the Pac-Man cartoon was a guilty pleasure of mine, but yeah. I, I don't see how it would work as a movie. That's something we should do as a commentary. I haven't even thought about that as the Pac-Man cartoon. Yeah. I can't believe that Metroid is so low on this list. Like, they have an entire Metroid list. Metroid would be, like, top three for me. Yeah. The Tetris is above Metroid. Like, how would you make a Tetris movie? Uh, I have no idea. Like you got well, I'll, I'll, I'll mention the top five. So, Grand yeah. Theft Auto. Like, that I would be interested in seeing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be I think it. I think it'd be fun. I mean, I would love to see like it shouldn't be higher than Zelda. I'm no. sorry, but there's no way it should be higher than Legend of Zelda. Uh, four is Donkey Kong, three is Mario Kart, two is Pac Man, and one by far is Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Let's see. Zelda is seventh. Smash Brothers is eighth. Uh, Halo is tenth. Final Fantasy is eleven. If a, I mean, a Final Fantasy movie's technically already been made, but if one were to be made, we should do, like, an official boycott. And Red Dead Redemption is, is below Final Fantasy. I could see that. That would make a pretty decent movie. But Minecraft and Fortnite? How do you make a movie out of Fortnite? 
No. And no that's way. all. Like all that is still like all the way down here at the bottom. You have the t- the bottom three are Metroid, Pong, and Starcraft. How is Pong, Pong. above Starcraft? <laughs> this poll is stupid. <laughs> right, let Let me ask you off the top of your head: If you were to pick three video games to be adapted, like right off the top of your head, what would they be? Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Metroid and Legend of Zelda, those three in that in that order. I would go Zelda, Mario, Metroid. But the thing is, is I don't want them to be live action. Now, Metroid, I could see be the only one I could see being live action. Like I would yeah. love to have like a Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Brothers animated movie. Um, I'd but, love Zelda to be an anime. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I'd rather see Zelda in the style like, of Castlevania. Yeah, exactly. Like Castlevania. But with Metroid, I would much rather have sort of a an aliens feel to it. Like almost like science fiction horror almost. That would be sick. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Because if you look at at, at at the you know the basic story of Metroid is basically Samus is like alone on a planet full of you know like Metroids and all the different aliens and stuff and and how cool that would be. It would just be like an entire movie of like the last like thirty minutes of Aliens. <laughs> Well, and the thing, too, is that we are in the age of strong female heroes. Exactly. Metroid is its the perfect opportunity to do Metroid. It would be great. And I did want to talk about that. You actually touched on this, and we, we haven't talked about this at all because I think this actually was announced last week sometime. But Eli Roth is actually doing the Borderlands movie. I don't know how I feel about that because I like Eli Roth as an actor. Don't like him as a director. I think he's an awful director. I've never watched any of his stuff. Uh, he did Cabin, uh, Cabin Fever, um, uh, Hostel, those type of movies. I haven't watched any of those. Now, I will say, going along on that, about the Uncharted film, because Tom Holland has been linked to it for a long time. Now, they did a fan film with Nathan Fillion. It was really good. We- why don't they just use that cast? Who because knows? he was a he was great in that. Like he was the perfect um <laughs> is it Nathan Drake? Yeah. Cause Hollywood I, I, is stupid and they should put us in charge. <laughs> I know, right? Just put us in charge. We'll make everything good. Yeah, I mean I that should be our job is we just make video game adaptations. I could I could handle that. Yeah. Just give us some money. And movie then we, and we and... can make money doing this podcast yeah, too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this uh, is actually I've been waiting to talk about this. Uh I'm stoked about this. Uh, from gamefragger.com, but you can pretty much find it anywhere on the internet right now. Lego Super Mario. Nintendo and Lego make huge announcement on Mario Day. Um, as part of the festivities of Mario Day, Nintendo and Lego Group teased a new line of Lego-based toys on the, the Super Mario franchise. The announcement was made on Twitter, with both companies posting a short teaser preview of what looks like a Lego Mario. Doesn't appear to be any old Lego, though. It seems to be there may be some sort of LED functionality, whereas teeth are. 
as well as an animated question block on his chest. It's possible this could just be for the preview, though. Unfortunately, no details were announced as both companies simply urged fans to stay tuned. Nintendo of America added something fun is being built, which suggests these will be physical Lego sets that you'll be able to construct and not necessarily a Lego iteration of a Mario video game. And I actually didn't even think about that. Like, I was so excited for the actual Lego sets, I would play the hell out of a Lego Mario game. Oh, that would be a day one purchase for me. Oh, absolutely. Because I absolutely adore the Lego games. I have a soft spot in my heart for those. And a Lego Mario, if you were to coincide that with the release of like four or five different Mario sets, (laughs) take my money. Yeah. I will buy all the sets. Like, I will make space to build a Mario Lego set. Oh, man. Oh, imagine, like, if it was, like, kind of like a sandbox Mario game, too, where you could build levels and, like, oh, my. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I hope they make that. That would be stupid if they didn't do that. You could do something like they did with Sonic Generations where you go through various incarnations of Mario. So say, like, the first level is the original Mario Brothers level, Mm -hmm. and then you go through an area of Subcon as level two, and then you go through, like, Grasslands or something like that for Mario 3, and, you know, progress through the various games. That would be sick. If they made a Lego Mario game, Nintendo would just be printing money at that point. Oh, my God. Oh, I would even take, like, a Lego Mario movie. Now you're just talking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is why I I love, But I love that idea, though. I absolutely love it. Like, that should be the next Lego movie. Yeah, this is a match made in heaven. This is something I didn't even know I wanted until I saw it, and now I want all things Lego Mario. Oh, it is something that, like, the five-year-old in me would... Like, my mom would have no money left because I would beg to have this. You know what I want? I want... What do you want? You know, the... um, What was the big thing that Bowser flew around in in Super Mario World? Oh, the clown car. Yeah, the clown. Clown Yeah, I want want that as a Lego set. Oh, could you imagine a giant clown car with a giant Bowser in it? That's so cool. Oh, man. (laughs) I, I want Bowser's castle... With the clown car and all the Koopa kids. I want all of it. Just give me all of it. Yeah. I will dedicate a room in my house to that. I'd have to get a a house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We could talk about this subject for hours. Yeah, we should probably move on. We got a lot more to get to. Yeah, we're like not even halfway through. All right, so this next story comes to us from nintendolife.com the winner of the nintendo playstation isn't oculus vr founder palmer lucky after all so i guess you could say he wasn't so lucky uh as you might have heard earlier this week the elusive nintendo playstation was sold for three hundred and sixty thousand dollars a tad underwhelming after the owner previously knocked back a 1.2 million dollar offer who ended up buying it though while it was believed to be oculus vr founder palmer lucky It turns out it actually wasn't him. They missed a great opportunity for a pun there. According to Forbes, the system has been acquired by Greg McLemore. If the name doesn't ring a bell, he's the founder of Pets.com, a website dating back to the 90s. Half the site was bought by Amazon, and from there, McLemore made quite a lot of money through various dot-com ventures. It's allowed him to go on a 20-year journey, collecting all sorts of video game memorabilia. 
and he also runs an online gaming encyclopedia. Uh, the idea is to make the collection he's developed over the years, which includes over 800 coin-op machines and countless other games, trade magazines and original artwork, and build a video game museum. I love it. Yeah, the, I'm actually happy that he actually ended up getting this because he's going to, like I said, he's going to make a museum. But he's also, I think in the time being, I had actually heard somewhere else that he was going to be uh, putting it in in various other like um, museums and stuff uh, for short periods of time, I think. But eventually he's going to make his own video game museum. So I like this. He's into, pre he's into video game preservation. So that's who this needed to go to. Yeah, when I saw that, you know, my initial thought was it went to the right person because yeah. I know it's actually going to go to something that's going to be beneficial. Yeah. And it's not just going to sit on a shelf somewhere. Like, it'll actually be on display at some point. Like, what, what he's wanting to do, I'm a huge proponent of. So I, I'm very happy that he got it. And that's uh, way less than the 1.2 they were offered, so I wonder if they're kicking themselves by not taking that original offer and putting it in auction. You know, once this uh, museum opens, we're going to have to go to it. Yeah, I, I will definitely say we need to do that. We should do an episode of the podcast from the museum. We should. And here's a topic that um, uh, this is from JDSupra.com. Uh, it's about retro gaming responsibility. Uh, and this is exactly, it kind of goes into what we were talking about just a second ago. About It says, in the past few years, retro gaming, collecting, and playing video games from past generation consoles has become incredibly popular. However, retro gaming raises some interesting copyright issues for both IP owners and gamers. One such issue is the gaming world concept of abandonware. This is the idea that if an IP owner is no longer selling, using, supporting, etc. its video game, it has, in some sense, abandoned its game. But does an IP owner actually abandon any of its rights just because the game is out of print? More specifically, does a company's failure to actively use its IP allow a gamer to download and play an unauthorized copy of the game without paying the IP owner? Another issue, which sometimes relates to abandonware, is whether a gamer can legally download a digital version of the game ripped from an original disc cartridge, uh, a ROM, for free, and play it on a PC, tablet, or other device using emulation software. Some argue that doing so falls under the archival exception to copyright infringement for software as long as the user, user owns an original disc or cartridge of the game, but does this argument hold water? What do you think about this? Because we've talked about this a lot the past mm -hmm. couple of years about how, you know, there's a lot of Nintendo games and stuff like that. You know, Nintendo went after, um, what was the name of that site that, that we actually used to use back in the day? Um, uh, oh, crap, I can't remember. Oh, what was their name? It was a ROM site. Um, Nintendo went after really hard. And made it really hard to be able to get your hands on some old uh, NES ROMs. But at the same time, it's like there's no other way to get these. They're not available anywhere. So how so, do we get around this? So here's my stance on the whole thing. At face value, is it wrong to download a game and play it? Yes. Just like the same way it is to pirate a movie. Because it is some, it's something that somebody worked very hard on. But on the flip side of that, if it's that big of a deal, 
then why don't you put the game out? Because clearly if people are downloading it for free, there's a demand for it. So why not put it out to have people pay for it? That way you can satisfy your fans and you can also make money off of it. That's why I think there needs to be a Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, you know, Sony, uh, ColecoVision, all these companies like Atari need to get together um, if there are anybody left with Atari and ColecoVision. But any, whoever owns the IPs of these original games need to get together and find some way to build an online archive to where anybody can go and play these games online. Um, and I don't know what it would take to actually get this done, but the, that's the only way you're going to stop this <clears throat> from happening. What I think you do, if you make this happen, you give people two options. You can do a subscription, mm-hmm. or if, say, someone only wants four games, have them pay, like, 2 to $5 a game. Yeah. You give people plenty of options. It's like the saying in Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you build the archive, because there are so many games that I want to play that have never been released other than like their original incarnation on the SNES or the N64. Yeah. And maybe there needs to be some sort of copyright law, uh, that some sort of addendum. Because you're look, you know, I'm thinking about games that are like, you know, for the Super Nintendo, the the Aliens versus Predator game, you're never going to be able to to buy that game anywhere because it's an intellectual property of two still viable um, intellectual properties. Right. But at the same time, you're talking about a game that was made 25 years ago, and it's a piece of art at this point because it is a video game. It's no longer available. The Publishers who publish the game no longer has the rights, but it still sh- deserves to be seen and played and available. So how do you get around that? And the only thing I can think of is there needs to be some sort of addendum to the, the copyright laws. I think after a certain number of years, because like you said, I don't think it's right to go and pirate a game that's within the last five years or ten years even, because you can still go buy those games at the store. Like if I want something for the Wii, I can still go buy it at GameStop. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can find that stuff at like, uh, you know, like Walmart and everything. But you're talking about games that were made 30, you know, 25, 30, 35 years ago that are, you'll never find in a store. <laughs> like, why, are, why is this stuff not available on some kind of online archive? I always use this game as an example. Illusion of Gaia. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite RPGs for the Super Nintendo. I'm looking at the release date now. It was released in Japan in late 1993. So almost 30 years ago. Now, to my knowledge, it's never been released for a virtual console or anything like that. So what other way do I have to play it other than finding a physical cartridge or downloading a ROM and playing it online if I really want to play it? because. I really, really like that game. But they've never really paid that much attention to it. Yeah. Well, I think this needs to be something. I think it's going to happen within the next few years. People that are really into video game preservation, um, 
I think they're uh, they maybe we need to create like a online Reddit forum or something where we can kind of get these people who have a lot of money invested into video game preservation to approach Congress or whoever writes the copyright laws and be like, hey, we need to change some of the laws regarding this stuff. Yeah, I think it's going to be the only way that you stop the illegal pirating or at least temper it to an extent. Because, I mean, we really consider pirating when you're pirating a game that's 30 years old that's not available anywhere anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously. (laughs) I don't know. This This is way above my pay grade, and I'm just... You know, I just I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit tonight because it is very important. We're getting to that point where, you know, some of our favorite games of all time are getting to be antiques, basically. Like, they're over 25 years old. They're 30, 35 years old, and there's nowhere to get these games a lot. You know, 99.9% of these games legally. So something needs to be done eventually. Uh, so breaking news, I just got a, a Twitter notification. Uh, the NBA has suspended the rest of their season. The rest of their season? Yep. Wow. Due to the coronavirus. Dude, are and we that is from times? that is from multiple <laughs> that is from check marks on Twitter, so take that for what you will. Dude, are we in the end times or what? <laughs> Maybe. Oh no, man. Well, I mean, I I had always thought that and I've read stories that eventually there would be some type of a disease or something that would wipe out like a third of the earth's population. And I wonder if we're like getting close to that. That's scary, man. <laughs> that's like the rest of the season, that's insane. It's crazy. I mean, we're getting to the end of the season too, aren't we? Uh, the playoffs are normally like March or April. Uh, that that's that's for that's for college. Um, oh. NBA normally goes like the finals are normally in like June. Oh wow! So they still had some of the regular season left. <sighs> All right. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> well, moving on. Uh, this this makes me very happy. I re- I, uh, this I, I wanted you to do this one so you could pronounce this damn name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be more than happy to. Usually I struggle with these, but this one I do know. Uh, this comes to us from IGN.com. The man himself, mm-hmm. Reggie Fijame, joins GameStop Board of Directors to help save the struggling retail. Uh, former Nintendo of America president Reggie Fijame has joined the GameStop Board of Directors, the retail company announced today. He, along with two more new board members, were brought on to help guide the company back to profitability. Uh, GameStop Chief Executive George Sherman said the board refreshment and governance enhancements announced today represent an important milestone in GameStop's transformation as we continue to evolve the company's business strategy for long-term success. Uh, In a tweet announced the news, uh, Fija May said, the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. I look forward to being a part of GameStop corporate board and helping to make this happen. Uh, he was served as president of Nintendo of America from 2006 to 2019, overseeing the Nintendo Wii, 3DS, and Nintendo Switch, as well as some disappointments like the Wii U, and he retired in April of 2019. I personally think this is a really good move. 
It's a good move, but at the same time, he's just on the board of directors. He's not like the CEO or anything or COO. He's just on the board of directors. So really what, I mean, does he have a bunch of power to be able to move that company into a new space or is it, is it movement by committee? Like exactly how large is his role going to be? Well, I think him at least being on the board gives him a platform to voice his opinion. Yeah. Which which I think is better than nothing at all. I I think it's good to have him at least employed by GameStop because I honestly couldn't tell you the last time that I bought something from a GameStop. I know you you mentioned a while back that you had had a few good experiences, which which makes me happy, but I just never well not never, but lately I've been buying my games digitally. Yeah. So I, I have I've had no real reason to go buy anything from a GameStop. Well, I've had some good experiences with GameStop in the last year, but I don't I don't know. I just I think brick and mortar stores are gonna be in the biggest problem GameStop has, and I think that there are there are literally three GameStops within a five to ten minute drive to me. Like there's one less than a mile down the road and then there are two more that are about about 7 8 minutes away and they're both within walking distance of one another why do you need that many game stops within a, such a short like distance like you need one yeah i feel like that's not very good business but i think that's a game stop thing because there's one in the mall near my house then there's a shopping plaza right outside the mall that has a GameStop. And then there's another like half a mile in the other direction. So to me, that really makes no sense. I think you just need to have one GameStop per, I think, 25 miles probably. (laughs) Uh, 25-mile diameter. Yeah, I just... I don't know. Like, I've even from a younger age... That always confused me. Yeah, as to why GameStop does that. So, I know, hopefully Reggie can help turn things around. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of his. I I've liked him since he took over, you know, as president of NOA. I thought he did some really good things with Nintendo. I mean, I know that when he kind of came on, Nintendo was on its decline, but he was there through some tough times, but. You know, I, I always thought he carried the message of Nintendo very well. Yeah. So I, I'm happy to see him in that spot, and hopefully he'll be able to voice his opinion enough to change things for the positive. Yeah, because I don't want to see GameStop go away. I just want to see him make do no. better business practices. Yeah, same. But uh, on to our last story of the night. Um, this is from HollywoodReporter.com. Sonic the Hedgehog producer signs first look deal with Legendary TV. Uh, DJ2 Entertainment specializes in adaptations of video games for TV and film, and Legendary Television has signed a first-look deal with DJ2 Entertainment. Um, and see, found, It was founded by Dimitri M. Johnson, who was among the producers of Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, which scored the biggest opening weekend ever for a video game adaptation with a $70 million haul over four-day president's weekend. The deal covers several projects in development at the production company. Uh, let's see. Legendary and DJ2 are together developing projects from Ed Recourt. Uh, Netflix is raising Dion. Never heard of that. 
uh, Thor Freudenthal. That's a cool name. <laughs> uh, That's fantastic. Who did uh, Carnival Row, uh, Matt Hastings, who lose The Handmaid's Tale, and Derek Colstad, who did John Wick. Um, it says, video games have had a checkered history of being adapt- adapted to film and TV, but are, a, are on a recent upswing with the theatri- theatrical success of Sonic, forthcoming Halo series, and HBO's just announced development of a series project based on mega-selling franchise The Last of Us, with Chernobyl's Craig Mazin and the game's creative director Neil Druckmann attached. Um, sounds cool. I mean, I, that, we still haven't heard of a um, anything about a sequel for Sonic the movie. But, uh, I hope they aren't just going to do a movie and then just work on a TV show now. I hope they do a TV show and a movie. I mean, it's a cool opportunity for you know, for this guy, you know, uh, yeah, Dimitri, or is it, let's see, uh, Dimitri Johnson. Yeah. Dimitri Johnson. Yeah. Um, and it's a cool opportunity for him. And I, I hope that the Sonic movie does spark a upswing in video game adaptations. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Halo series because if done right, it could be really, really good. Yeah. But I could also see it being really bad. And I could see it being very boring if they don't do it right. Honestly, I'd rather see see it based on like Halo Reach. Because as much as I loved Halo, the the Halo games with Master Chief, there was something like about Halo Reach that was just that it was more story driven. It, yeah, well, it grabbed me in a way that the other games didn't. It was like the Rogue One of Halo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you knew they were all going to die, but they just they had a way of making you care about these characters throughout the game, and it was heart-wrenching to watch them just go down one after another and knowing that, like, Reach is going to fall, but they're, like, the last hope, and it's just, ugh, I love that kind of storytelling. See, I would be okay with a Reach adaptation, and then that leads into adapting the first Halo game yep. into its own series. Like that, that to me, would be perfect. But um, as a little um, side note on this, so I didn't post this article because if I had and I read it, uh, Wally would probably kill me <laughs> the next time that I saw him. But um, I, I read that apparently Paramount wants to include Knuckles in the Sonic sequel and then do a spinoff starring Knuckles telling his origin, which I would be okay with. Mm. But at the same time, I think you if it were me and I were planning it, and I talked about this on my review on my show, I wouldn't introduce Knuckles until movie number three. I think you do, the sequel needs to be building the foundation between Sonic and Tails' friendship. Because Knuckles starts out as an antagonist, but it's because of Robotnik, because Robotnik manipulates him into thinking that Sonic's a villain. So what I would do for a sequel is maybe you have Robotnik travel to Angel Island in like a mid-credit scene in the sequel. And then a third movie, you have Knuckles as one of the main protagonists, but then becomes good at the end. If you wanted to do a spinoff, because Knuckles actually has a really cool origin story, if they base it off of his origin from the comic book. Yeah. That, that I would love to see, but 
I think it's too soon to be talking spinoffs. Yeah, I don't like talk, spinoff talk this early. If if you get through a trilogy, I would be okay with doing a Knuckles spinoff after that. Focus. And the reason why I say Wally would kill me is because it was, it wasn't directly from this, but it was reported by We Got This Covered, Ooh, which yeah. is known for being very cagey. They report stuff without <laughs> actual facts. Yeah. But I, I don't hate the idea in theory. And they also mentioned that Paramount wants The Rock to voice Knuckles, which I would be a huge proponent of. Whether that happens or not, I have no idea. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think he would be a good choice for it. I think so. I would, Either that or you, you have anything. to have... I'm down for The Rock and anything. If The Rock's not the voice of Knuckles, they should have him do a cameo in the sequel as the president. Oh, yeah. Just one scene. That's all you need. <laughs> president Johnson. Love it. Uh, right, if you well, smell like, what I'm cooking. Well, like I said, we're going to skip the uh, video game history for tonight, but we'll go straight into our Patreon shout-outs. Take it away, Derek. Absolutely. So we want to give a shout out, as always, to our awesome Patreons who help keep the lights on for us here at the Nerd Cave Retro. We want to shout out Armez J, Axeblade 07, Daniel Salmon, and John Jekyll. And if you guys want to contribute to our Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And for my review next week, the Patreons are going to decide what game I review because I've already posted a poll for it. Um, so if you are on Patreon and you haven't seen the poll, go vote on that. And if you would like to decide uh, what I'll review, and I'll probably be doing it on a fairly regular basis. If you want to decide what I'm going to review, just head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And tonight we're going to be talking about... was released in Japan as Bare Knuckle 2, The Requiem of the Deadly Battle. Uh, is a side-scrolling beat-em-up video game published by Sega in 1992 for the Mega Drive Genesis and developed by an ad hoc team of several companies, Sega, Ancient, Shout Design Works, and MNM Software and HIC. It is the second game in the Streets of Rage series, a sequel to Streets of Rage, you don't say, and followed by Streets of Rage 3. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Why not do Streets of Rage before you do Streets of Rage 2? Well, for one thing, Streets of Rage 1 is not on the Genesis Mini, and that's where I played this because What's I had What's the deal with Streets of Rage? I had no What is the deal? Um I'd never played any of the Streets of Rage games before. Um I always kind of had it in my head because Derek, you know this. I'm a huge Final Fight fan when it comes mm -hmm. to the Super Nintendo. That was one of the very first games I ever got for the Super Nintendo. I love Final Fight. I think I've even re reviewed it on the show here. One of my favorite Super Nintendo games. One of my favorite beat-em-ups of all time. And I always kind of had it in my head that Streets of Rage was kind of a uh, Final Fight knockoff. So I kind of dismissed it in a, a sucky way. <laughs> by thinking that way. Um, but actually, I, I threw this game on 
about a week ago, uh, I had my Sega Genesis Mini fired up, and I was like, you know, I'm finally going to try out Streets of Rage. And you know what? I really like this game. I think I might actually like it better than Final Fight. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Go on. So uh, let me talk a little bit about the, the, the story here. Axel Stone and Blaze Fielding return while the game introduces two new characters, Max Thunder and Eddie Skate Hunter, the younger brother of Adam Hunter from the original game. A commercial and critical success, it is commonly regarded as the best entry in the series, the best game in the beat-em-up genre, and one of the greatest video games of all time. And you know what? I'm going to kind of agree. (laughs) So here's the thing. As soon as I fired it up, I started playing it, and I was like, oh, this is just, uh, it's as I expected. It's a Final Fight clone. Like, it's just reskinned Final Fight. And then I started to play it, and I really, some of the moves are a little better in this game. The hit detection's a little bit better. Um, it's basically the same game, but it's not as punishing as Final Fight is. Like, later you get into the game, like, Final Fight gets to the point where it's damn near impossible. It's so hard. But Streets of Rage is kind of like, it gets difficult the further you get into the game, but it's still really fun. And a lot of, I mean, it's basically the same game as Final Fight, but I kind of had more fun with Streets of Rage 2. And I know that's that's a weird thing to say because I slighted this game for so long as being like, oh, I'll never play that. That's Final Fight's my game. Now after playing Streets of Rage, I think I might actually like Streets of Rage a little better than Final Fight. I'm not going to lie. I'm very shocked at what you've been saying. Because <laughs> I I love Final Fight. Now, one and thing I will say, on the show, I think the music is better in Final Fight. That's probably my biggest gripe with this game is I really don't like the music for it. Okay, the music in Final Fight is is it's very um, it fits the game and it's very recognizable. Like, I can mm-hmm. still conjure up all the music from Final Fight, but with this game, I still couldn't tell you what the music sounds like in the game. It's very forgettable, and it doesn't really match what's going on in the game. I guess if I had played this before Final Fight, I might, or actually had a lot of time as a kid playing this game and gotten the music in my head, it, I might feel differently, but it just, the music didn't capture me in this game, but the gameplay did. Okay. But uh, it says, like, and I, like I said, I've never played any of the Streets of Rage games. Um, let's see. Uh, I, could, I guess I could talk about the plot a little bit. One year has passed since the events of Streets of Rage. To celebrate the defeat of the mysterious Mr. X and his criminal organization, the Syndicate, uh, the trio of Adam Hunter, Axel Stone, and Blaze Fielding had met at their favorite night spot in the city, reminiscing about both their vigilante crusade and triumphant victory from within the previous year. Axel and Blaze had moved out of the city after the adventure with Axel working as a part-time bodyguard and Blaze teaching dance, less, dance classes 
Adam has since rejoined the police force and lives in a small house with his younger brother, Eddie Skate Hunter. There's a lot going on here for just a beat-em-up. Yeah, beat it sounds up. very in-depth for just a beat-em-up. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of this is going on. Basically, uh, the, um, let's see. Please uh, receive an emergency call from Skate. Uh, no. Skate uh, found his older brother missing. Um, so they went, uh, on a rescue mission, which will take them from the city all the way to Mr. X's hideout on a desolate Island where they will eventually face Mr. X and his bodyguard Shiva. Unlike the other two games in the series, streets of rage two has only one ending where Mr. X is defeated and Adam is rescued after which the heroes leave in a helicopter. Hmm. So my question is, why has this not been made into a movie? I don't know. It seems yeah, like why, there's a uh, lot this, going on in here. This sounds like it would have been right at home in the 80s. It's very 80s. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is definitely... Uh, did Streets of Rage ever come out in the arcade? I don't think so. It doesn't say. Because Final Fight was originally an arcade game, which they then ported over to the Super Nintendo. And when they did... They took away the two-player, um, you know, the the, the two-player aspect of it, and also mm -hmm. they took uh, the third character out of it, Guy or Guy, however you want to pronounce it. They took him I actually remember out I was of the talking game. About that, yeah. And then they put out another one uh, a couple of years later where they actually put Guy back into the game, and it was a different uh, version of Final Fight for the Super Nintendo. That um, they did uh, sequels to that game, Final Fight Two. I think there was a Final Fight Three as well. And they were all kind of the same, and like we've played a lot of games in this era, like even the the Batman Returns game, which I like a lot too, uh, is basically built off the same engine as Final Fight, and I think this game was built off that engine too because the graphics, some of the the bad guys that you face, like some of the <clears throat> excuse me, some of the backgrounds that you go through look a lot like it's just a reskinning of Final Fight. Well, in a lot of games, there were a lot of games like this from that era that played very similar, but it was, like you said, with Final Fight, everybody had their beat-em-up yeah. that they played. Yeah, I, I wasn't too big into the the beat em up games. I think the only ones that I remember playing were the Power Ranger ones. Yeah. And they were they were okay. So I missed out on Final Fight, uh, Streets of Rage, games like that. But see, I love a good beat em up game. Like I love the Turtles games. I, I loved the Turtles two, the arcade game from the yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, that 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 would probably be my favorite. Yeah, I I don't know why I blanked on that. Yeah, I love uh POW is actually one of my favorite beat em ups from the NES era. Uh, but like I said, uh, you know, I love a good beat em up and I never gave these games the time of day. And then just out of the blue, like last, what was it last Sunday or maybe this past Sunday where I just, I had the, the Gen the Genesis mini going and I was looking for something to play. And I was like, you know what? I'm finally just going to give this uh, a whirl and just, I'm just going to play like the first level. <clears throat> yeah. Like, three hours later, I'm still playing it. <laughs> I'm like, I like this game a lot. And that's the great thing about doing this show, is finding games that you missed out on from that era, or ones that like you had intended to play, 
you know, or like you said, you were always a Final Fight fan, mm-hmm. so you never played this one. But then going back and getting to do it, and then talking about it, that, that's the beauty of this show, or one of the many beauties of this show. And it's cool because, I mean, like, you go through the game and, like, the the controls are just so tight and smooth. Like, one of the smoothest beat-em-ups I've ever played. And, you know, I kind of, it took me a little while to get used to it because I'm so used to playing beat-em-ups on the uh, the Super Nintendo controller uh, with the four buttons. And it, it does take me a little while to get into the uh, playing the Genesis controller because, like, I never grew up with that controller. But it's pretty easy to get used to. And I don't know if you've ever played this on the, the, the Genesis Mini. I know you have one. I would say give it a whirl because it's worth the time. You've talked me into it because I, I actually have a free weekend coming up. So I'll, I'll give it a shot. Because I've says, been meaning to break the Genesis Mini back out again. Because I haven't yeah. played it since I reviewed uh, Castle of Illusion. So I'm overdue to, to break the Genesis back out. As far as the music goes, it says the soundtrack also received a positive reception for its techno-based chiptune tracks, which impressed many gamers and critics at the time, especially due to the audio limitations of the Genesis. Um, Let's see. Notably, the boss theme is considered one of the best boss boss themes in the 16-bit era and of all time. The reception for the soundtrack was so high that the game's music composer, Yuzo Kashiro was invited to nightclubs to DJ the tracks. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe I need to go back and just give these tracks another... Maybe I need to just listen to them on YouTube without playing the game and just listen to them. Have I ever told you my high school video game music story? Mm-mm. So, back in... This had to have been early 2000s. I was going through this phase where I was listening to a lot of, maybe not so much back then, it was called retro gaming music because it was early 2000s, but I was going through a phase where I was listening to like NES and NES, or NES and SNES era music. And this was back in the, the days where you would burn CDs. Yeah. So I made my own five CD set. <laughs> really? So I had one CD that had nothing but NES music on it. The other had Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. The third had N64. The fourth had GameCube, because I think the GameCube had been out for like a year or so at that point. And then the other had uh, PlayStation and Xbox. And then I had um, these... um, labels that you could actually like draw on mm-hmm. and it wouldn't affect the playing of the of the disc and a friend of mine who was really good at drawing logos and i still have these cds i don't know if i have them here at my house they might be at my parents but he drew the gamecube logo like to perfection on the uh on the cd label and colored the logo purple and the surrounding area black oh that's fantastic i don't know if the cds still work i highly doubt it but I still have those as like a a collection, dude. You, and you know, like find the, those. the Japanese, the Japanese SNES logo that had like the yellow, blue, and green like circle yeah. logo or whatever. He drew that on the Super <laughs> Nintendo edition. <laughs> That's so cool. I'll, I'll have to find it and I'll, I'll post it on the uh, on the Instagram. You should, and if they work, I want copies of these CDs. <laughs> Either that, Hopefully or at least digitize like- them. Get MP3s of them. 
Yeah, I should definitely do that. Hopefully you won't be like uh, all the kids were in high school and try and rough me up to <laughs> burn CDs for them. So that's how I made money in school. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, uh, like five bucks a CD? Hell yeah. But, oh, sorry, um, I didn't mean to. Oh, that's to okay. You. I was just gonna say that a lot of the uh, for the reception of the game, this thing got really good scores across the board. You know, ninety percent and up. So at the time, it was <clears throat> really praised for being such a good beat 'em up. And I really wish I wouldn't have been so rough on this game because I didn't realize how good it was. And I've had so many people. Over the years, tell me that Streets of Rage 2 is better than Final Fight. And I was always like, ah, no way. And now I see what they were talking about because this game is good. And if you have a Genesis Mini, this, this is one of those games that makes it worth it. And that's good to hear because, you know, I haven't played too many games, to be honest, on the Genesis Mini. But this is one that I'll definitely give a, give a shot because you sold me on it. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a solid 9 out of 10. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I wasn't, ex I, I don't know what I was expecting from this review, but I wasn't expecting you to give it this high of praise. I wasn't either. Like, when I first fired it up, I was just like, eh, I'll probably play this for like 10 minutes and give it like a 4. <laughs> but no, I, uh, I got stuck playing it for hours and um, ended up really, really liking it. And I'm. It's going to be one of those games I'm going to continue to play from now on. It's going to. It's definitely going to be one of the games I go to when I fire up the Genesis Mini. That's fantastic. And I'd love I, to play it two to play player it too. I wish we. I wish it had uh, internet capability so that me and you could play together. Oh, for sure. That would be fantastic. That'd be fun. That's awesome, though. I, like I said, I'll, I'll definitely give this a shot. But that's my review for Streets of Rage 2. Highly, highly recommend it, especially if you're a beat-em-up fan, side-scrolling beat-em-up fan. It doesn't get much better gameplay than this. Like, this is one of the best beat-em-ups I've ever played on a console. And that's high praise coming from you. And it's good. I really like it. I mean, it could be the newness talking, and I could give it a few more tries and be like, eh, this ain't as good as I thought it was, but... I've been a, a beat 'em up player my whole life. Like I, like I said, I love the Ninja Turtles games. I love uh, Final Fight and all those type of games. This is really, really good. That's awesome. So go play it. it. Go play it now. Love it. So anything you would like to throw out there before we get out of here this evening? I just as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, when you're finished listening to this show. Go over to the Derek, the Derek Diamond Experience and check out Defending Bad Movies 2 because it is a fantastic panel. You guys had me borderline crying in certain <laughs> portions of the panel, so I, I really enjoyed it. I actually went back and listened to it today, and it was, it was really good. So uh, definitely can't. go check that out. You can follow me uh, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast and I drop new episodes of the podcast uh, every Thursday on all podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. And this upcoming Tuesday, I'll be doing a six-year anniversary AMA. So going to be doing a little bit of a throwback for this week due to it being the anniversary. So if you want to talk about anything, you can ask me about retro games if you want. I will talk about those as well. 
I cannot wait to go back and listen to the the panel. It's going to be so fun. I'm doing that first thing in the morning. And um, I'll be releasing other panels um, as we progress through the summer. And what I'm likely going to do with my show is once baseball starts, I'm going to switch to going biweekly because I don't want to stop completely like I did last year, but I just don't think I'm realistically going to be able to do a review and an interview every single week. Mm-hmm. So I'll likely be sticking to a, a biweekly format from like May through August. Okay. But I'll also be releasing uh, some of the panels that I did, like even as far back as the comedy festival that I've been kind of holding back, you know, just for that purpose. So like the Stephen King panel we did at Pensacon, yeah, that'll air this summer. I did a really cool panel on uh, comedy writing that will air um, in May or June as well. So some good stuff to look forward to. Yeah, and also, um, like you said, uh, you've got baseball season's about to kick open again, and um, we're going to bank some episodes for this show as well, just in case there's some nights that we can't get to the show because you're working or I'm working. Um, So what we're going to do is uh, some of the Patreon people, or all you Patreon people, if if you want, you can get a hold of us. Uh, You can email us or get a hold of us. Um, Tell us what you would like us to do a commentary track of. Because we were thinking about doing some commentary tracks, um, maybe do some more Captain in the Game Masters or some Sonic the Hedgehog or even more uh, Super Mario Brothers, if you like. But let us know. Or I was even thinking about doing the first episode of The Real Ghostbusters, too. It doesn't even have to oh. be video game related. It could just be 80s or 90s related. I couldn't tell you the last time I've watched an episode of Real Ghostbusters. That would be fun to do. I would love to do that. I think that's one we're going to do anyway. But if you have any suggestions out there, um, just let us know what you would like us to do a commentary track on. Because we're going to be recording a bunch of those coming up soon just to have to release. And uh, if we get through baseball season and we haven't used uh, hardly any of them, then we'll release them all at once. (laughs) If we haven't released hardly any during baseball season, something crazy yeah. has happened. <laughs> like the coronavirus has yeah. postponed the season, which <laughs> honestly, so I also got another notification. The NHL is likely going to suspend the rest of their season, oh, too. Damn. End so, times. End times. So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, uh, do I see something? Do I see it being affected? If I had to guess, probably not. But. Who knows? Because baseball doesn't start for another month, at least for us, it doesn't. So it could be a completely different situation in a month. Who knows? Yeah. But we'll see what happens. We'll see. I, the the longtime listeners know how the summer is. I and if you of, do get the coronavirus and you're quarantined for two weeks, I'm sure we have a... Uh, you could go back and listen to the Nerd Cave Retro from the very beginning to take up some of your times. So <laughs> you ooh. got that. I wonder how that first episode was. I don't know. I might go I'm sure I was probably terrible. Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was actually pretty yeah, good. I'm, I might do that tomorrow, go back and listen to the very first episode. Well, because I was, let's see, I was about three years into doing podcasting, so I was probably tolerable. Yeah, I think we were, we were well into our established careers that we did pretty good. You know, it's funny, at that meetup that I was at, I think I'm the longest tenured person who's been doing a podcast really? in town. Cause people were like, cause the defending bad movies is like I said, is episode two fifty, and people were like, what? <laughs> like, like, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been podcasting for six years. 
imagine, guess I'm the old man of the town. Imagine if Broke Nerdcast was still going. We'd be on like episode 800 or by now. Holy crap. That's <laughs> that would be nuts. That'd be awesome. Well, I mean, look at I mean, I know he releases more than one episode a week, but freaking Joe Rogan's at 1100 and I something. Know. That's nuts. Well, there's a podcast I listen to called The Morning Stream that they uh, they do four episodes a week plus a fifth episode because they hit a certain Patreon level. So they're mm-hmm. up to like episode almost episode two thousand at this point. Wow. Yeah. There's a the the first show I ever listened to um, is a wrestling podcast. It was originally called The Minority. Rep- it started in two thousand five. And it's gone through changes since then, but it's still been been going since then. Yeah. Damn. So it's been, yeah, let's see, that's 15, 16 years. Yeah. I think the very first uh, podcast I ever listened to was, uh, I think, The Instance back in, like, 2007. Back when I lived with my parents, this was before we got high-speed internet, I would call a phone number to listen to the actual podcast because I couldn't download them onto my phone. <laughs> so, like, I would plug my phone into my car and dial the phone number, and it would play through my speakers. Because I, I lived, like, an hour away yeah. from college. So I would just listen, you know, an hour there and an hour... That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Back in primitive times. Back in my day! Um, um, anyway. The early days of podcasting, I love it. We're uh, we're we're running late tonight, so uh, you got an extra fat episode this week, everybody. So we hope you I'll enjoy be on- it. <laughs> I'll be honest; this is one of my favorite shows we've done in. Oh yeah, I, I love this show. I can't believe all the news that happened this week is crazy. I know, and even breaking news. I know, crazy. A lot yeah. of stuff happening. I just hope we're around the next couple of months and we don't all die of coronavirus. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> That's, that would suck. Uh, yeah. On that note, let me go ahead and hit our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro and individually at jakefantastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro and also on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro where you can go throw us a couple of bucks every month and help keep the lights on. And if we get back to the $50 level, we'll do an extra show every month just for you guys. And if you can't do that, can't throw us a couple bucks a month, then please leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. So please, Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero be to the Triforce. Yes. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. 
schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.